Good evening, everyone. It occurs to me last week I actually forgot to preview this week's episode. Sorry if I kept you in suspense. But this week, we'll talk about how public health became more and more the concern of national states. Yet again. You may remember from our last era that great thinkers had begun proposing ideas for how governments might provide healthcare to a much greater degree, but that the administrative machinery was simply not there. The ultimate goals of states providing healthcare for basically all their citizens is not to be realized quite yet, but some major steps are taken, particularly in modern-day Germany and France. Let's start in Germany. In the late 1700s, some political philosophers in the area thought up an idea referred to as the medical police, a term first used by Wolfgang Thomas Rau. Basically, medical police is the idea that governments would create medical policy and implement it through normal administrative channels. This idea probably sounds kind of obvious to us, since basically all modern wealthier countries do this to some degree. But at the time, that had never been done on such a wide scale. In particular, Johann Peter Frank was one such proponent of this idea. Frank today is known as a pioneer in public health, although in his time he was equally well known as a doctor and hospital executive. He spent vast amounts of time writing about public health, though. In 1766, he had a plan to write a book on all the measures that government could take to protect public health. And he meant all of the measures— The first volume of this book was published in 1779, about 13 years later, which is a lot of writing time. And he published five more volumes of the book, the last being in 1817. Cumulatively, Frank was working on these for 51 years, which I find kind of absurd. But anyway, what did Frank write about in those five decades? Well, he actually needed all that time because he wrote about pretty much everything. Basically, his book was a guide for government officials on how to take care of your citizenry in, honestly, the most intrusive, detailed ways. Remember at this time that monarchies were all the rage, and Frank was a product of that time. To start, he detailed how governments could manage their population, which was of great concern to governments of the time. Remember, a powerful country needs lots of people, and so Frank provided ideas for how to do just that. He proposed that public officials should generally try to encourage marriage, and proposed a bachelor tax, which is exactly what it sounds like, taxing you for being single. As if single people didn't have enough problems. I know, at least in the U.S., this was enacted in a few states in the past, and even today it still kind of exists, as married couples often pay less in income tax, although we don't call it a bachelor tax per se. Frank also suggested that governments should try to train and educate the people for marriage, which as far as I can tell doesn't really happen today, although honestly I think I would have appreciated some more dating advice during my public school years. Maybe not, though, if it was coming from the government. After marriage, of course, you need to have babies for the population to increase. Here, Frank proposed lots as well, including that all births should be handled by professionals, which is a great idea, and that midwives should be consulted before the birth, which is also a great idea. He proposed legislation to allow new mothers several weeks of bed rest after birth, what we would maybe now call maternity leave, way back before that was a thing. He even proposed that mothers should be supported by the state, if need be, for six weeks after delivery, which is basically what we now call paid maternity leave. 
Very progressive ideas for the time. After you've got babies, though, you then need to take care of those children. Frank here was also absurdly detailed. He covered ways to prevent accidents involving children, and even described in detail how to build schools, describing exactly how to build lighting, heating, and ventilation, and also prescribing required physical activity regimens for the kids to grow big and strong. Next up, he discussed food, clothing, entertainment, and housing, also in excessive detail. For example, with food, he follows items from farm to table, detailing all sorts of things like which diseases of animals make their meats unsafe to eat. He insisted that authorities make keeping towns and cities clean a major priority, which we know has been difficult in the past. There's more, even, since after all he did write for 50 years, but this isn't the Johann Peter Frank show, so we're going to move on. His works spread the idea of heavier state involvement in health all over Europe. German officials did take notice, and a few health codes were submitted to governments, although not enacted due, again, to political conditions and ineffective government. One problem, though, was that his proposals were framed under the assumption that the government had more or less absolute power, an idea that is becoming rather unpopular during this time period. He thought up a lot of very good ideas that were way ahead of his time, and some of which are, I'd like to point out, still not in place in the U.S. And those ideas were very influential. But it falls to France to enact some of these ideas, and in a way more consistent with the up-and-coming political themes of rights and liberty. As you may know, it is around this time that the French Revolution takes place. Now, the French Revolution was a notoriously messy transitional period, and if you want to know more about that, I'd highly recommend the Revolutions podcast by Mike Duncan. We're here, though, for the first attempts at national health regulating bodies. On September 12th, 1790, Joseph Guillotin, yes, the guy for whom the guillotine is named, introduced a motion to create a health committee. Guillotin, despite his association with a tool of execution, was actually a doctor, and with some other physicians in the newly formed government, wanted more state promotion of public health. The health committee was set up, and was charged with looking into all matters, quote, related to the art of healing and its teaching, to health establishments in city and country such as schools and the like, and in general to all subjects likely to be of interest for the public health. Which is a pretty wide mandate. However, this committee put together a plan, and then promptly got nothing done. It wasn't until 1791, when a new governing body was formed, that something almost happened. The health committee was merged with another to form the Committee of Public Assistance, which then put together another, more detailed plan. Finally, in 1793 and 1794, a series of laws were passed that created a national system of social assistance, including medical care. Each district was assigned three doctors, although not really because, again, the French Revolution was a mess and there was just not enough doctors or resources to go around, especially as war was brewing. These national efforts ultimately fell apart, although some local health councils were formed afterwards, most notably in Paris, where they tackled lots of issues like market sanitation, prison conditions, and first aid for drowning victims, among many other things. The French get some points for effort, though, and I mean, they did technically pass some national health governing bodies into law. 
Overall, this period saw a little bit of progress on getting governments to at least pass legislation that was intended to oversee and manage public health. None of it really stuck, but hey, we're really trying. And at this point, the idea of heavy government involvement in public health has become a good deal more mainstream. More exciting developments in this area to come later, of course, but next week we'll talk about our last big change during this era, the spreading of vaccination. As always, thanks for listening. If you enjoy or don't enjoy the show, please reach out via the links in the show notes and let me know why. Thanks also to my editor, Jojo Tang, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for our music.